Hello and welcome to this third podcast for the High North Dialogue 2015, a collaboration of the University of Newerland, the University's High North Center for Business and Governance, and the Arctic Institute. We are speaking with attendees and speakers about their work, the High North Dialogue, and the conference theme of security and business in the Arctic. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andreas Rasputnik. Today we are talking with Alexander Sergonin, professor in the Department of International Relations at St. Petersburg State University. Alexander Sergonin received a PhD in history from Moscow State University in 1985. He is the author of numerous publications on regionalism, foreign and security policy, EU-Russia relations and Russian Arctic policy. He currently works on a research project entitled The EU and Russia two competing soft power projects in the Baltic Sea region. Dear Alexander, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Andreas. I'm uh, looking uh, forward to our conversation because uh, uh, I guess uh, what we are lacking uh, most recently is the, the, the lack of dialogue between uh, uh, Western and Eastern experts, uh, particularly on the Arctic. Let me start with our first question. The theme of the Heinroth Dialogue 2015 is the Arctic in a global perspective. Arctic business and security. Discussing Arctic security in our first podcast, Michael Byers explicitly highlighted the increasing need for Arctic policing, provided either by militaries or coast guards. What is your first association when you think of the term Arctic security? Well, uh, actually, um, uh, the, the first um, uh, reaction is uh, certainly not uh, associated with the military or hard security. I guess uh, for Russia, it's much more important um, the soft security aspects soft security dimensions, uh, such as environment, such as uh, economic challenges, uh, such as some non-traditional challenges uh, related to uh, potential oil spills, uh, things like potential increase in uh, poaching, in smuggling. Also, we still have um, residual problems with uh, indigenous peoples, so that kind of uh, stuff. And I think that we have to distinguish between the uh, journalistic uh, things uh, and are really expert uh, uh, opinions uh, or approaches because um, sometimes the journalists, not only um, West but also Russian, they tend to focus on uh, hard security, military uh, security issues rather than on uh, real problems which face Russia uh, in the Arctic. And yet it is still hard security that dominates our Western public perception of Russia which did not seem to have changed even 30 years after the end of the Cold War. As a matter of fact, the Ukrainian unrest has revealed a still prominent public conception of the West versus the East, political rationality versus political inconsistence. In the Arctic, the picture seems to be rather similar, with analysts claiming that the Russian bear aims to militarize the Arctic in order to achieve its regional economic goals. How do you oppose this distinct Russian Arctic picture? Yes, again, just it's one more uh, journalistic stereotype uh, about Russia and its uh, foreign policy behavior in general and uh, specifically uh, in the Arctic region. I would say that uh, actually it's not intention of Russia to militarize the Arctic. On the opposite, uh, uh, I guess uh, Russia wants to keep uh, the Arctic cooperation, which is quite a unique one uh, as compared to other regions. Uh, and uh, uh, the Russian leadership uh, many times repeatedly told that um, uh, we wouldn't want to uh, have a spillover effect from the Ukrainian crisis 
to such a fragile new region like uh, the Arctic. And uh, I think that um, uh, some of these uh, stereotypes on the Western part about Russian uh, uh, military policies in the Arctic, uh, they stem from the fact that they tend to forget that actually um, uh, what Russia is doing is just the continuation of the previous plans to uh, rebuild, to modernize uh, uh, the Russian armed forces, uh, Russian military infrastructure, which actually um, uh, uh, degenerated uh, over the uh, last uh, quarter of, of the century, after the end of the Cold War. Uh, let me remind you that um, uh, in the 90s, uh, uh, the Russian military, they simply abandoned all these air bases, naval bases, uh, uh, border uh, stations uh, in, in the Arctic region. And uh, the, the whole military infrastructure was just decaying uh, for years and years. And uh, about 10 years ago, the Russian leadership decided to at least keep alive uh, all this uh, military infrastructure. So we're talking about modernization, uh, more, quite modern modernization of, of uh, Russian armed forces and uh, military infrastructure in the higher north, rather than about uh, uh, revisionism, expansionism, some aggressive plans, that kind of things. So, I mean, uh, uh, don't forget that other Arctic nations, they all, also do the same. Uh, maybe the problem is that, um, again, uh, some journalists, they tend to forget that uh, in contrast with other Arctic nations, Russia uh, has to combine uh, modernization of its conventional forces and uh, strategic forces uh, in, in, in the Arctic. I mean, it's a unique combination. Uh, none of the Arctic nations, they don't have that kind of combination. For example, the United States, uh, they have um, strategic uh, forces, uh, nuclear weaponry, which is uh, uh, based not only in the Arctic region, but in Russia, the, uh, the uniqueness is that uh, uh, the um, uh, Russian Arctic, um, particularly uh, the Kola Peninsula, hosts uh, um, two-thirds of Russian nuclear submarines. So when uh, Russia uh, wants to modernize uh, its armed forces, uh, it uh, has to take care of uh, both conventional and strategic components. That might have some kind of uh, negative impression on the rest of the world that Russia has some aggressive plans, but it's, it's not the case. I mean, if you, if you compare, for example, a modernization of uh, Russian conventional forces in the region and uh, those, uh, uh, for example, the Norwegian ones, I would say that uh, Russia does not have, a, will have in the foreseeable future, that kind of class uh, uh, of, um, uh, let's say, frigates uh, like Norway has or will have, or Denmark. So. In terms of uh, conventional modernization, uh, I guess uh, uh, we, we now have um, forces comparable with uh, those of neighbors. Strategic component is different, but it's, it has nothing to do with the Arctic uh, region <laughs> as such. I mean, it's just for the global uh, uh, confrontation or interaction uh, with, the, with the United States. Another Arctic topic often connected with the issue of militarization and potential dispute in the region is the question of an extended continental shelf. Russia is supposed to resubmit its submission in 2015. In the context of Canada and Denmark's submissions, it seems that the public media and some analysts already start again to invoke potential conflict and disagreement between the Arctic states. As for instance in a recent article by Newsweek. How would you analyze this particular issue? 
Yes, uh, first of all, um, uh, let me clarify the status uh, of uh, these um, uh, submissions or, or uh, claims on, on uh, the continental shelf. Uh, Canada filed the um, claim for continental shelf, but not in the Arctic region. Uh, it uh, uh, did it uh, um, uh, with regard to the um, uh, North Atlantic continental shelf, which uh, has nothing to do with uh, its claims on the uh, Arctic uh, maritime spaces and the uh, Arctic continental shelf. So, uh, Canada uh, didn't submit that kind of claim yet. Uh, Russia also is only um, planning to do that uh, this spring, uh, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, it's, I mean, it, we, we did it, it will do it because, uh, I mean, um, Russia several times uh, postponed the, 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 this um, submission um, because uh, uh, it uh, had no uh, sufficient uh, geological and uh, geophysical proofs uh, or materials to prove that uh, that kind of uh, claim. So Russia now is very cautious because, uh, let me remind you, Russia had already uh, filed that kind of submission uh, in 2001 and it was uh, declined by the um, UN Commission on the continental, on the limits of the continental shelf because uh, uh, Russia uh, was unable to provide sufficient uh, geological and geophysical uh, arguments. So Russia is now very cautious about that. The only country, the only country which uh, uh, submitted its application uh, for the extension of the continental shelf is Denmark, and uh, it's quite strange uh, because um, first it overlaps with the potential Russian one, and uh, uh, to my knowledge, uh, Denmark didn't uh, uh, do that kind of um, detailed investigations uh, like Russia did over the last several years. So I guess um, the the chances for for the approval of or the Danish application is not not very not very good not very high. I mean, uh, uh, to, uh, my impression that Denmark repeats uh, the same mistakes uh, like Russia did it in, in 2001. So I mean, the experts, not me, I mean the legal experts, they said that uh, the chances not very good. And um, uh, I guess uh, Russia has much more balanced approach to this problem. Because um, actually, uh, what we are talking about, we are talking about the extension of the continental shelf, ex extending uh, over the 200 nautical miles, uh, which we already have. I mean, each Arctic country has the uh, 200 uh, nautical miles territory, uh, maritime territory, and the seabed. Uh, so, uh, if you look at uh, the um, uh, uh, mineral resources, I mean the potential mineral resources, especially oil and gas, which uh, can be discovered in these waters, I would say that uh, approximately 70 or 80 percent uh, of, uh, of uh, potential mineral resources, they are already within these uh, exclusive economic zones, 200 nautical miles. Uh, and um, even uh, having that kind of uh, exclusive economic zones, uh, I mean, uh, the extraction of oil and gas in these deep waters uh, is impossible, I mean, for many, many decades ahead. I mean, uh, what uh, uh, the countries, the Arctic countries are doing now, they simply would like to have a strategic control over these uh, uh, territories or maritime spaces, rather than they have real plans to start uh, extraction immediately or on the foreseeable future. So, I mean, uh, the Arctic oil, the Arctic uh, gas is something very distant. 
Turning to business, the High North Dialogue's second theme. Over the last decade, the development efforts of the various oil and gas fields located on the Russian Arctic continental shelf have seen a multitude of up and downs. What do you think is the immediate, let's say, 10-year future of Stockmann or the various fields on and surrounding the Yamal Peninsula, especially if we consider the current low oil price? Let me just repeat uh, what I already said. I mean, uh, the Russian uh, uh, leadership and also the um, uh, people from uh, oil and gas business, uh, they uh, never had that kind of... Uh, rosy picture uh, of, of the future of uh, Russian gas and oil um, extraction. I mean, they are quite, uh, and are quite realistic about that. They are uh, thinking about some distant future and uh, they are preparing for that kind of distant future. They, they believe that, um, uh, I mean, in order to develop uh, oil and gas industries in, in the far north, you should plan it uh, well, well uh, in advance. I mean, uh, uh, you have to plan that kind of things uh, 20, 30 years ahead. And uh, the problem is that uh, you can't do it overnight. I mean, uh, uh, you first you have to um, explore uh, these uh, this, uh, territories. Then you have, you have the technologies uh, for, for that, uh, for offshore drilling. Uh, and Russia doesn't have that kind of technologies for the time being. Uh, then you have um, a skilled uh, workforce for that. So it's also you need time to train it, yeah. and um, uh, anyway, I mean, uh, uh, Russia has um, uh, very, I mean, strategic plans for the future, not not for now. But more or less, I mean, we can speak realistically about um, oil and gas industries uh, on the Imal Peninsula, but also in the um, uh, shallow waters of uh, Petchora and the Kharkiv seas. That's it. I mean, where Russia has its own technology and all uh, uh, technology which is obtained from um, uh, Western companies uh, before the uh, sanctions. Uh, and of course, uh, Western sanctions, they impede that kind of, uh, I mean, development of that kind of technologies and uh, impede the Russian plans uh, to, um, to develop uh, these areas. But I guess uh, it's not, not very smart uh, on the Western part because uh, not only Russia, but also the Western countries, they would need uh, the Arctic oil and gas in the future. So why uh, to make barriers and make obstacles uh, now for what uh, these countries will need in the, in the maybe not, in the, not tomorrow, but the other day? So I think that, um, I mean, the, that kind of sanctions in case of, of the Arctic is quite detrimental not only for us, but also for the Western country themselves. Coming to our last question now. Over the last years, China has often been depicted as the hot new Arctic actor. With regard to the region and keeping in mind both security and business, what is your opinion and assessment on a closer Arctic relationship between Russia and China? Yeah, it's also quite a complex question. I mean, uh, um, as in case of, of the uh, future of the Arctic world and gas, uh, this, this case, uh, Russian mass media had a lot of um, high expectations about Sino-Russian cooperation in, in the high north. But uh, I myself was quite critical and skeptical about that. Uh, because uh, uh, actually uh, China uh, has a few to offer, has a little off to offer to Russia in terms of cooperation in, in the Arctic. Uh, China does not have uh, uh, technologies uh, for drilling at uh, big depths. 
um, uh, and the and the knowledge supply chain is uh, quite backward compared to the uh, Western companies and, uh, and the, the Western industries. Uh, so uh, what Russia hopes and hoped uh, that uh, China would provide some investment uh, to the development of, um, let's say, the Northern Sea Route and its infrastructure, also to uh, mining uh, in the Arctic, that kind of stuff. But uh, quite recently, uh, both the, the Chinese uh, officials and also Chinese experts uh, are just... Uh, visited several uh, seminars and conferences over the last uh, months. And all of them, they told that uh, actually China now is quite cautious and uh, uh, quite cautious about the prospects uh, for that kind of cooperation for many reasons. First of all, uh, because of the um, uh, drop in oil prices, and uh, which made uh, actually not profitable the extraction of oil and gas uh, in the Arctic uh, sector. Also, um, uh, because of the um, uh, political risks. Plus, uh, uh, I mean, when uh, it, it came to the practice, uh, it uh, turned out that uh, actually Russian companies, mining companies, oil and gas companies, they are quite reluctant to let uh, the Chinese companies in uh, their businesses. I mean, the most lucrative uh, pieces, uh, the they want to to to, uh, to leave themselves, so they're not well, very welcome uh, to the Chinese companies when they ask for some kind of share, that kind of thing. So when it comes to practicalities, it seems quite difficult to find the, the common ground for cooperation. And um, so now I guess we have some kind of um, uh, quite a shaky moment uh, when uh, both sides they quite hesitant about uh, the prospects of this cooperation. The, the, the deals, uh, the natural gas deals, which you mentioned, actually, they are uh, not about the Arctic gas. I mean, they, they, they will come from uh, Siberia uh, rather than from the uh, Arctic, from different regions. So, um, I think that uh, both sides, they have to work slowly, gradually, cautiously, uh, and um, uh, just uh, single out priorities for the future cooperation. And I think that's the most promising thing is, is about Northern Sea Route. And because uh, uh, both Russia and China, they need that, that kind of sea route. Uh, and uh, um, it could be actually done jointly to the mutual benefit. Dear Alexander, thank you very much for taking the time to highlight some of the most pending questions concerning Russia's Arctic endeavor. We look very much forward to see you in Buda. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. And I'm also looking forward to our uh, conference. I think that um, all of us, we will come uh, there with a lot of ideas, fresh ideas. And uh, also, we are aspiring to dialogue uh, rather than confrontation. That is, at least it's my hope. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Follow along with the series on iTunes or via our websites highnorthdialogue.no and thearcticinstitute.org. The music you have heard at the beginning and at the end comes from Heber Seffernin and can be found at ccmixture.org.